Aloha, Shervin here, and welcome to The Waking Hour. This is our moment in time to wake the fake up from the illusions that are holding us back from living in our full power. As Alvin Toffler said, the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read or write, but those who cannot unlearn the many lies that they have been conditioned to believe and seek out the hidden knowledge that they have been conditioned to reject. I invite you all on a journey of self-exploration where together we unlock the keys to living the best life ever. Wow, I am very, very excited for this. I've been looking forward to this for the last you know, 10 days since this kind of materialized and it just came into you and landed on my lap one day and this is how <laughs> uh, the divinity works. I'm super honored to have my next guest on Wake the Fake Up. Serena Dyer, it's um, it's such an honor to see you and and see your face, and I'm so stoked that we're able to honor both of our fathers and both of our dharmic missions in this life together and to conversate through them. Welcome to Wake the Fake Up. How are you? How you doing? I have to tell you, I have this feeling right now, like I want to laugh. You have such a uh, like a joyful energy about you something about you is making me want to laugh i probably wouldn't start laughing in an introduction but i don't know there's like a joy here and i can feel it and and it's probably is our fathers but i'm thrilled to be here i love it i'm feeling that right now like it's it's an oxytocin neurotransmitter i i just got done with a pretty deep conversation about stem cells and our immune system, how our health functions, living in joy and bliss and all that stuff and relating it back into the science aspect of it, because the science can now prove that these things that we intuitively know are real. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not just a placebo effect. And so I'm, I'm filled with just optimism and joy and passion and I'm loving every breath and super present. I'm not thinking about five minutes from now. I'm not thinking about my vacation this weekend. I'm in it right now. And again, I want to just say it again. It's such an honor um, to be in your presence and to be able to um, learn more about you. And well, thank you. Yeah, I, th- I think a good way to start off um, so our viewers and our listeners know exactly who I'm speaking to uh, and I'm actually holding your new book, The Knowing, right now, 11 Lessons to Understand the Quiet Urges of Your Soul. Serena, tell us a little bit about your background. A lot of, uh, you know, I put this out on my social media. Um, I haven't even given it to my PR yet, um, but just social media and waves and waves of people have been coming in talking about how much your father has influenced them in their life in so many ways. And there's so many parallels between my father and your father. Everyone knows my dad is Baba. And um, just tell me what, what is going on? What, what is, how did this all materialize? Well, this conversation right now materialized because Baba and Wayne got together and said, you guys need to talk. Um, But the book came from, uh, it came from a place of wanting to get these experiences, these stories about not just growing up with him as a parent, because obviously that was unique and uh, fun and funny in a lot of ways, 
But just this idea that people have surrounding death or surrounding losing a loved one, for a lot of people that didn't grow up in a spiritual home, they're not exposed to the idea that the soul is having a temporary human experience. They're not exposed to the idea that, you know, as Ramdas said, we're all just walking each other home, that when we leave our body, we go home. This is the classroom. This is the place that we come because our soul wants to do two things. It wants to grow and it wants to expand. And, um, and we come here for however long we are meant to be in the classroom. And when our time has come due, you know, we all come here with a round trip ticket. So we never know when that one leg of the journey is going to be called. But when that time comes due, I was raised to know that our loved ones are still here. They're one thought or one frequency away and that I could access them and that they're available to me and I could continue that relationship. And I know that that's weird. I, even though I was raised in a spiritual household, you know, like I said, I grew up in Boca Raton, Florida. So I know that what I'm saying sounds odd to some people, maybe not the listeners of wake the fake up, but some people would say, you know, you're, you, you don't know what you're talking about. And I would say, I do, I've experienced it. And you have too, based on what we were talking about before we came on here. There's a knowing there, a knowing that you're still in communication and connection with, with spirit. And now that your dad and my dad are in the spirit world and my stepson um, are in the spirit world, I have a connection with them in that way. And so the book is really about discovering that connection and exploring it. That's, uh, I mean, that's such a beautiful perspective in the way that you articulated that, you know, death and transition, the taboo of it, the, the conceptualizing of just a blackness and darkness and, and really looking at it as just another aspect of this reality and just another part of the existence process. And we now know, and I feel it intrinsically that our perceptions are reality right? Mm -hmm. How you perceive things is real. It's mm -hmm. tangibly real. And, yeah. and growing up, you, you mentioned a few times growing up in a spiritual household. So this is what this is what I was looking at this conversation as a very interesting perspective. I wanted to pick your brain on this. You grew up with Dr. Wayne Dyer as your father. And I'm sure your mother was on the same level you know, there had to have been the, the same type of vibration running through for that unit to have come together, um, especially when you're operating at those levels. Being a child and growing up with it, were, was there ever moments where you had resistance? Were you in public oh, yeah. schools? Were your friends like, what the hell is going on here? I mean, what did that look like? Yeah, I definitely had resistance. As a child, I would say um, I thought it was like we went to Michael Jackson's Neverland Ranch. We had an Uncle Deepak. We had monks that were friends. And I was taught transcendental meditation when I was five. So I knew that those things were weird and that not everybody got to do them. But as a child, I enjoyed it because a true spiritual relationship, which is one that, that I did experience growing up with my parents, is one that says, I love you for who you are with no expectation, no attachment to you becoming or doing anything for me. I just love you. So as a child, I had that. And that is the safest feeling 
that a child can have. And, and I am admittedly um, so glad and so grateful that I did. So I didn't resist it really then. But as I got older, as I got into like my 20s, um, I liked the spiritual stuff, but I was in no way meditating, reading about it, interested in it, wasn't doing yoga, wasn't doing any of those things. I was partying in South Beach, you know, I was in school and I was, um, but I always knew it was there and I could go back to it at any time. So yeah, there were times when I resisted it, but let me just say this after my dad died. Um, so he died in 2015 after my dad died. Um, every single thing in my life took a turn for the worse. So he died. My husband was indicted, arrested. Our assets were frozen. He went on trial for a, like a white collar crime relating to his business, was sentenced to seven years in prison. Um, my stepson died, who I grew I grew up as his stepmother. I, I didn't grow up. I spent the last nine years that he was alive being with him and his father. Um, my husband had full custody of him his entire life. And it was my husband's only son. He passed away um, from an accidental drug overdose. In that same period of time, I had three children in three and a half years. Then my husband didn't go to prison because a whole series of miraculous occurrences that I could go into, but basically every single aspect of my life, shit hit the fan. And on top of all of that, all of that really heavy stuff, I was a whale after having three babies in three years and on a superficial level, I had 50 pounds to lose and that was stressful. So at that, during that experience, which, which lasted for about four years, just ended sort of recently in 2019, 2020, um, I absolutely knew that I had a choice to make. Was I going to allow myself to become the victim of my circumstances, resentful and angry, and it was everybody else's fault? Or was I going to carry around shame or guilt? Because growing up in a spiritual environment, you're taught that life is responding to you and that you don't get in life what you want, you get what you are. So I had enormous shame and guilt that I must be bad if all of these things are happening and I'm supposed to take responsibility for them. And then on the other hand, I had to ask, what is this here to teach me? What is this here to show me? Can I become transformed closer to God and more full of love because of all of this that has taken place or not? And the choice is mine. And I chose the last one, but I chose it and then fell off and chose it and then fell off and chose it and then fell off for years. And it wasn't until I really understood that I had been going through this dark time saying to myself, when all of the pieces fall into place, then I will have peace. But I was raised to know the opposite that I will have peace and then all the pieces will fall into place. That I had to find the, as, as Herman Melville said in Moby Dick, I had to find the inner Tahiti. Mm -hmm. I call it inner Maui because Maui is Tahiti for me. Maui is paradise for me. Um, and it was like, I would spend all day dreaming about when all this is over, I can then go to Maui. And I knew 
that my dad was saying to me, go to Maui now here inside of yourself. And then all of this will be over. And I can, you know, go ahead. This is, uh, this is unbelievable because we have multiple parallels in our reality in terms of being confronted with some of the most harshest realities that can happen. And such a, you know, a drop off on where we were at in terms of pacing energetically. So I'm feeling into the trauma. And when I hear this and, and I feel this, all of a sudden, all my trauma lights turn on. And then through all the experiences that I was having around my father's transition and my business and some of my friends and my network and all that stuff. And those are really the moments where all the spiritual stuff, you know, really takes hold. And yeah. And yeah. no, and just to say, cause um, I think there is such a similarity here. And I think that there's a similarity for a lot of people in the sense that when they lose someone, then a lot of things start to happen that seem like they're out of their control or it seems like everything's happening at once. But I think that you would agree with me that you would not have been able to know your own inner highest most self if you didn't have all of that happen. And or if your dad were still here in the physical to comfort you. And to make it better for you. 100%. I, and I it's like, that, man. As, um, you know, energetic, yeah, even emo- me, energetically. Yeah. yeah, me too. And, yeah. and I, and I can feel that with you. And I feel like your dad and my dad, they stepped out at the right time. And we had a choice to make. Cause I know for a fact that if my dad would have still been here, when all of that happened in my life, he would have, he would have fixed it all for me. He would have been there for me. And I would have never come to know Serena and my capability and my connection to God as I know it now. And I say God, and I mean universe, you know, it doesn't, it's not a religious thing for me. Um, And I think that there's a part of you that knows that's the same thing for you too. Absolutely. Yeah. We're divine mirrors of each other. And every nuance of your voice and the way that you articulated that entire experience. I have the exact same gnosis and mm-hmm. I'm operating today with that level of awareness and it's part of my drive and um, it's made me a better man. It's made me a more complete man. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I am my dad. And mm-hmm. in the Persian culture, when someone you love, especially a parent is, has transitioned the son or daughter, they take on the characteristics of the parent. They take on the nuances that governed that parent. And it's also part of my anthroposophy. I'm a Rudolf Steiner trained anthroposophist and my background completes that the karmic cycle is, you know, basically habits that are formed and emotional Mm -hmm. capacities that are formed. And and I, right now, I've never felt so in my power and so connected with my father. Every decision, every emotion, every experience, all my reactions are getting more and more pragmatic, as he would say, and how he would operate. You know, he was that. I love that. Mm-hmm. 
And so, wow, I wasn't expecting to hear all that. And, <laughs> and you know, because I don't know you, you know, I don't, I don't know your story. You're new, you're new. I mean, you're new to me in the material form, but you're so ancient to me in my heart. And Thank I'm you. stoked that I have <laughs> another sister that I've found <laughs> and remembered in this life. And it's such an honor, again, to be able to communicate with someone that has gone through the same type of, um, you know, rising and developed the yeah. around that. And I think that the thing that for me, because this, you know, because um, we got in contact through this book, I think that for me, the thing that I, I tried to remind people or anybody that's lost somebody, because so many people that are reaching out to me are people that have lost someone because it resonates with them. And I really believe that my dad, your dad left at the time that they were meant to. But let me just take it a step further and say that my son did as well. And that that is also a choice that had to be made. Because how could I go through saying that um, we come here on a round trip ticket and the first leg of our journey, the being born is celebrated by everybody. And it's like, you know, rejoiced and you celebrate your birthday your whole life. How can I say that my dad went at the right time in the right way, in the manner that his soul was supposed to, but not my stepson. And he was a teenager and he died from an accidental drug overdose. And so if there was ever, ever a situation where you could say, well, he didn't live to be 75 like my dad did. He didn't get to have this whole full long life like my dad did. Um, there's nothing on time or on purpose about Mason's death. But once again, I was challenged to see it differently, to understand that if, if I believe that we live in a universe where there are no accidents, then his manner of death and time were also divinely orchestrated. And ch choosing to view it that way made me feel his presence. And it wasn't until I made that choice that I could do that. You made that choice. And, and that right there, for some people, that's shocking for them to even consider. But what we're talking about right now is you and your family being able to exist after the tragedy. And so mm -hmm. what Serena is doing, what, what she's saying here, takes a level of mastery, in my opinion. But it, within that mastery, it's not some learned discipline. It's actually a root essence of gnosis of knowing. And mm -hmm. We could sit there and every day ask why, you know, we could sit there and be and suffer, right. Mm -hmm. And continue to suffer. That's, that's a, you know, I, I've had friends growing up and car accidents, motorcycle accidents, opiate addictions. And I've seen what it's done to the parents to it's destroyed the entire family. They were mm -hmm. never able to repair out of that morning. And, right. and that was a choice that maybe they didn't have because they didn't have the tools. They didn't have an awareness. So if we, if we, so if we rewind this a little bit, reverse engineering, re reverse engineer, of course you're sad. Of course there's suffering, but you're able to press forward, not by escaping or suppressing 
but by accepting the laws of this reality or this dimension or whatever this is that we're in, that science is trying to prove that we're in when we know it's so much beyond. What, mm-hmm. what tools did you gather growing up or, or that influenced you to have this awareness so you can well, operate like this? So I will tell you that, um, that before my dad passed away, uh, he had recorded a, a DVD. He had recorded a lecture of him with Esther Hicks. And um, if you know Esther Hicks, she channels Abraham. Abraham. And so he, yeah. 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 So he did a recording with Esther Hicks and in the recording um, that he, that was put on a DVD, he sent it to my brothers and sisters and myself. And he said, if you want any Christmas money from me this year, if you want any Christmas presents, you have to watch this DVD and write a report on what impacted you the most and send it back. I was like, sweet. I'll write this little report, watch this DVD. I'm going to get some Christmas money. And I wrote my letter back to him. This was nine months before he passed away. I wrote my letter back to him, telling him that the thing that stood out to me the most in that lecture that he did with Esther Hicks was when Abraham was describing how when Esther's husband, Jerry, died, Esther could not find him. She could not feel him. And she's a channelist, like like a medium. I mean, that is what she does is talk to people that are in spirit. And this was particularly distressing for her because again, this is what she does. And it wasn't, there was a whole story about it, but basically it wasn't until she understood that when she thought about Jerry, she thought about him in the place of grief, loss, fear, sadness, these energies that, that vibrate very low. And it wasn't until she remembered that where he was now, without being bound by the body, he was in a place of joy, of love, and of peace. And if she wanted to feel him or connect with him, she had to be like what it was she was seeking. And she was seeking Jerry. She was seeking his energy. And the energy of who he was now was way up here and she was looking for him way down here. Mm. And I wrote my letter about that aspect of the DVD because it was really impactful for me. I had no idea that nine months later, my dad was going to die. And that two years after that, my stepson was going to die. But when my dad passed, I said to him that day, if you want me to believe that any of the stuff that you spent my whole life telling me is true, you better give me a sign, like a really big sign. Like, I mean, like something has to happen for me to know you're still here. And, um, you know, nothing happened. Light bulbs didn't explode. Uh, Rainbows didn't come shooting out of the air vent. But I had this feeling that I should listen to his podcast, which I had never done before. I go onto my iPhone, And I clicked podcast and I just typed in Wayne Dyer and I pushed play on the first one that came up. And this was within two hours of me finding out that he died. And I'm laying there and it's like 20 minutes. I'm listening to it. And I was thinking, this is really nice to hear hear your voice, but this is not a sign. And right as I'm about to end, he says on the podcast, he says, now for everybody listening, if you could just take a moment and send my daughter Serena 
some love because she's going through a really hard time today. And he ended it. And I just started laughing and crying and saying, okay, you're here. Okay, I get it. So the point of it is for somebody that didn't grow up in a very spiritual household, but has lost somebody, but does not want to stay stuck in grief for the rest of their life. I would say that your loved one wants to connect with you. They want to give you signs and messages, but you have to be in alignment with what you are seeking. You have to raise your vibration. That's, um, that's a very poignant perspective and it makes total sense. If you're operating on the lower dimension, how are you able to see anything outside of it? You're clouding the vision and the laws of perception explain that. I mean, it's almost a physical thing too. And mm -hmm. that was a very beautiful, um, you know, experience that you just gave me and get and <laughs> everyone listening. And it reminds me of a uh, similar circumstance. I, I want to share with you, you know, what happened with my father and his transition. I was there for the entire process. Yeah. You know, he, he, he took his last breath in my arms and um, we did the Tibetan rites and kept him in that position for three days. Uh, he transitioned on 228, February 28, um, 2019 at 8.13 a.m. All of those numbers add up to 12. 12 is a three. So they're all three, three, three. And then we, I kept them there for three days and didn't let him, didn't uh, move them at all. And then on day three that night, I had a dream. And in that dream, we're in a car. He's driving. He was always driving me around as a kid. And I, and he looks so beautiful. He looks so healthy. And, and I didn't know in the dream, he had transitioned. It was so raw. It was still so early. Mm -hmm. And I was getting, I was like, Baba, Baba. And I kept yelling his name and he's just driving. And I noticed I was feeling frustrated that he wasn't turning and looking at me. And then finally, when I was just about to explode, he just slowly glanced over and he had a trademark smile and he just smiles at me and gives me this nod. And he would always give me a nod. And then I woke up screaming and crying. And then from there, you know, so many things kept happening. So many different signals from him. And I'm a skeptic by heart. I do play, <laughs> I do play in the medicine world. I've gone through all kinds of initiations. I've died in this body. I've practiced Samadhi. I've gone through so many interesting things. I lived in the jungles, um, but I'm also a skeptic. And I'm a skeptic of the spiritual community as well, because I think mm -hmm. that there's levels, levels to this. I, I, I believe in balance, harmony between, the, between both worlds and being grounded into it. And um, he showed up on my phone once as a smudge. I'll send you that video. And then let me tell you one more on Father's Day. It's interesting. We're coming up on Father's Day and we're talking about this. I was up in Father. I was up in Oregon, Eugene, Oregon. I was invited by a dear friend of mine. The, the Father's Day right after my father's transition. And we are... Uh, we're driving to the grocery store to pick up some groceries. And, and my friend is basically confessing how much, how instrumental I've been in his life. And he's getting emotional. And uh, we make it into the grocery store. And uh, he's like, oh my God, I'm sorry. I'm talking so much. 
how are you doing today? You know, like, how are you coping with this? And right when he says that, I see something behind him that flashed in front of my eyes and I grabbed him and I said, what is on that lady's shirt over there? And he walked over and looked and his eyes and mouth dropped. And I, and I, and I said, oh my God, I walked over and on this woman's shirt was writing, it said Baba. And there was a picture of a goat and I would call my dad, the goat, the greatest of all time. <laughs> Right. And, and that in that moment on Father's Day, right when I was about right. to talk about my dad, that happens in some random town. I, right. took a photo. I took a photo with her. I'll send you the photo. What are the chances? And this shirt's not like some national shirt. Her, her children made it. Okay. So you throw that into the calculus equation of analytics. We're talking about right. one and hundreds, hundreds, hundreds. No, the, they're communicating with us. It's it, if I'm open to receive it, I'm going to see it. If I'm not right. open to receive it, I'm not going to see it. Law of attraction is real. Yeah. Right. And, and I love what you said. And I think that what you did for your father at the end was, is so beautiful that you um, stayed there and you held him while he took his last breath. And I believe that the reason he was able to come to you in that dream so quickly was because he felt the pure love that you had for him. And even though that love may have been clouded in, in grief and sadness, he could still get through because you had such pure love for him. And I had a very similar thing with my stepson after he passed away, um, where I did not feel in any way the same level of love that I felt when my dad passed away. I did not feel that when my stepson passed away because I had enormous guilt that I could remember all of the times I had picked a fight with him. I could remember all the times I was not a great stepmom. I could, and I could only remember those. I couldn't think of anything else, but any bad thing I may have done in the years that I had spent with him. And I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel worthy of mourning him. Mm. And I was committed to punishing myself. And I was. And I was because I was so um, filled with anger and, and self-loathing. And I remember my husband said to me, my husband, now this was his only son that he had raised his entire life. And my husband said to me, Serena, you told me after your dad died that if you wanted to reach him or connect with him, you had to come from a place of love because that was where he was why aren't you doing that with Mason? And I said to him, I just don't feel worthy. And he said, but what about all of the good that you did and all of the fun that you brought to this home? And you may have picked fights, but how many days did you not pick fights? You know, and he was really trying to talk me into it. And I was really resistant. Anyway, as I was going to sleep that night, I remembered thinking about a story with Mason where something was really funny that he and I did together. And I was thinking about that right when I was falling asleep. And I had a dream with him in it as well, where he came to me and he was beautiful and he was glowing and he put his hands out and I held his hands and I said, did you see all of the mean things that I did? And he kind of smirked and laughed and said, yeah. And I said, do you forgive me? And he said, yeah, of course. And I said, do you love me? And he said, yes. And then I said, do you know that I love you? And he said, yes. 
And he said, um, before I go, I have to tell you one thing. He said, new teachers are emerging. You have to remember that. Wow. And yeah. And I was able to stay in the place of obviously, and I think that you and I would both agree with this. It's nobody is saying, and I'm definitely not suggesting that when you lose somebody, only go to love and happiness. And that's how you're going to get the signs from them. Uh, You know, you're going to go through grief and that's natural and that's normal. And that's part of love. It really is a huge part of love. Part of being human. Right, right. But also keep in mind that the shame and the guilt and the fear and the doubt, those are all keeping you from your loved one. So it's one thing to have grief and to go through mourning, but it's another one to punish yourself, blame yourself, um, hate yourself. Because at the end of the day, we will never actually know, right, with like scientific proof that you skeptics like my sister Sage, my co-author is, is a natural born skeptic. I'm a Gemini, so we believe everything. But I think that uh, that there's never going to be concrete proof for the skeptics. It's just, there's just not. Yeah. But which one brings you closer to God? Yeah. yeah. Which one brings you closer to love? At the end of the day, what matters? I mean, right. the, the theory or embodying peace and happiness in this body. I mean, really right. what it comes down to, but you know, yeah. we to get outside of the rationality, right? This world, if you really want to look at it, it's irrational. Mm-hmm. The way the sun and the moon, the way the systems work, the, you know, how amazing our ecosystems are, human nature, it's irrational. And we try to like, you know, left brain scientifically, you know, approach everything. I got to say your authenticity is very refreshing. And I really appreciate you opening up and talking about, you know, these trials and, you know, somewhat tribulations that you've gone through and the conscious state you were in, because this is why we're doing this. We're doing this because you and I are having this experience, but everyone else is having the same experience as well. We're not isolated on an island somewhere and and unique in that way. And I think it's beautiful that people can receive this and experience this. Let, let me ask you, you, you mentioned, because I don't know the, um, the details and I want to get into the book, but I know a lot of people are probably going to be interested in this, including myself, is what led to your father's transition? You said you didn't know nine months ahead of time what was happening. How did that all happen? And, you know, I'm a Kauai guy. I live in Kauai part time. That's where our farm is. That's where I took my dad a year before. We spent a lot of time on the islands. Um, so that mana is traditional in my reality. Um, just what happened? He had a heart attack. He had a, um, it was called a widow maker. Um, it was basically a hardening of something that pumps blood to the heart. Um, and he, he had a heart attack and at some point in the early morning of, um, August 30th, 2015. And I was on the phone and I, I wrote about this in the book. I was on the phone with his assistant D as she got into his room and found him. And so I was hearing that live and I was screaming, what is it? What is it? Call 911. And, um, and so I had to experience all of that discovery as it happened. And Sage, who I wrote the book with, um, 
she had spent the last three weeks. So he died August 30th, early morning. And she had spent the three weeks leading up to that with him and my other sister, Sky, in Australia and in New Zealand. They were on like a, a book tour for my dad. And um, he was like as healthy and as fit and, and as great as ever. But there was something that he knew on some subconscious level that now that we've gone through and put the pieces together and looked at the whole story, something in his soul knew that he was getting ready to make his, his trip back home. Because like, for How example, did How did he show that? What, what, so he, yeah. he had these plants that he was obsessed with. I mean, like obsessed with these plants. I have videos of him on my phone talking about how I need to give his plants waterfalls. They couldn't just be watered. They had to be brought in the sink and then showered in water and talk to them, love them. It was a whole silly thing. Um, as he was getting ready to leave for Australia, it wasn't just that he was leaving on this trip. It was that the entire condo where, his, where he lived on Maui, the entire condo complex was going to be closed for six months because they had to replace all of the pipes in all of the units. So nobody could live there. So he had rented another place on Maui. Um, and he was going to be doing a lot of travel during that time. The day he's getting ready to leave to Australia, he says to his assistant D, um, she comes up with the bell cart and she's getting all the plants, all of his babies on the cart and bringing them to her home where she uh, was so she could take care of them for him. And um, he stopped her and he said, you know what? You can give the plants to somebody else or you can get rid of them. Where I'm going, I'm not going to need them anymore. Wow. And she was like, what do you mean? You're going to Australia and then you're coming back. And he said, no, just get rid of them. Then he had this system of paying for our, our university or college. And um, my sister Sage was 25 when he died. He had always given us, right before the semester would begin, he would give us the money for the tuition and for like our health insurance or car insurance or whatever. And he had done that. Sage is the youngest of eight kids. He had done that for all eight of us through all of our university experience. Wow. And he called Sage, gave her the money for her next. She was in a master's program at NYU. He gave her the money for her first semester. And then two weeks later, he calls her and he says, I'm going to give you the money for all four semesters. And she said, no, like NYU tuition is insane. I don't even know. Like, I've never had that much money in my life. I don't want to have to budget it. Like, what if something happens to this money? And he said, open another bank account. You'll be fine. But if something happens to me, I need to make sure I fulfilled my promise to put you through graduate school. And had he not done that, she wouldn't have had access to that graduate school money right, right away. Like, there was just too many uh, estate things that were going on that, you know, Sure. With a big family, there's a lot of stuff that happens. I mean, there were so many things like that. He had he had been told by a, um, by a healer in Canada that the next time he swam in the ocean, he was going to die. And he had stopped swimming in the ocean because he had felt that as well for himself. He started to have this like bad feeling when he would swim in the ocean on Maui, which he swam in every single day. So he started swimming at the local lap pool. Wow. The day before he died, he called me and he said that he was getting ready to go for a swim in the ocean. And I remember saying to him, what about what that guy said? And he said, if it's my time, it's my time. 
I'm not going to live in fear of the ocean. I want to get in. It's so beautiful. It's calling to me. Mm. And I was like, all right, well, that's fine. And I remember he said, I love you, Serena. And I said, I love you too, dad. And he said, no, it makes me want to cry. He said, I really, really love you. And I always have. And then he said, I want you to always look after one of my sisters who had been struggling. And I said, I I will, of course I will. And that was it. That was the last time I spoke with him. He died that night. And so when I say that looking back, there were some indications that on a deep subconscious level, his soul knew there are a lot of those. I mean, go through them in the book, but those are just some of them. I'm crying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, um, it's moments of, you know, such divinity and such surrender that is at the absolute most beautiful, um, you know, way of thinking. I, I, I just hearing that I'm feeling into him. I'm like, I just went into his body and his process. And, um, thank you for sharing that. He is obviously, um, he was obviously ready, you know, yeah. and he was making preparations. You hear that all the time. You know, there's some, some kind of signaling is going on. There's, there's a message being drifted in, you know, you feel mm-hmm. a certain way and you're like, okay. And at that moment, um, it's what, what, are, what, are, what is this dimension we're in? What are these lives, <laughs> these bodies? What are, are we connected to something on another plane, you know? Um, And, and always we are, I mean, that is the answer. It's like, you know, I don't know why I feel like I want to share this story with you. So I'm going to, because I don't know why I want to, but, but I feel that I am supposed to. So um, Ram Dass was a really good family friend and he lived in Maui um, and for the last uh, few years of his life. And um, he had had a stroke, you know, Ram Dass. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. So I, you know, a lot of people that are young don't know all these spiritual people, but, um, I assumed you did. I just wanted to make sure. Anyway, he was telling us a story one time. Um, he had had a stroke, so he spoke slowly. And his speech would really force you to pay attention, almost to like feel each word. And he was telling us a story about how when he had gotten fired from Harvard um, for developing LSD, he had gone over to India to, uh, to study with his guru, with uh, Neem Karoli Baba. And he had brought with him a whole bunch of LSD um, to India. And he was in this meditation circle and his guru said, um, what's in your pocket, Ramdas?" And he had all of his tablets in his pocket. And he said, oh, nothing. He hadn't told anybody that he had brought these with him. And he said, give me one. And Ramdas was like, no, 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 master. Like if I give you this, like, this is going to be crazy. I can't give you LSD. And he was like, give me one. So he takes one pill out. He hands it to his guru and he swallows it. And the guru, 15 minutes later, nothing happens. He looks at him and he said, guru says, give me the rest. And Ramdas was like, no, 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 this could, like, this could kill you. I can't, I can't be responsible for your death. And he, his guru says, give me the rest. So Ramdas does. He empties his pocket in his hand. And his guru takes all of them, all of the LSD he had brought. Yeah. 
20 minutes go by, nothing, 30 minutes go by, nothing, an hour goes by, nothing happens. And his guru looks at him and says, when you're already in Detroit, you don't have to take a train to get there. <laughs> and I feel, <laughs> I feel like, Truth, 100%. and it relates so much though, to losing someone when you are in that space of knowing that you're going home anyway, and you're going to be with them again. And they went on time in the right way at the time that they had agreed to go before they ever even incarnated. It's like you get to experience what it means to be in Detroit without having to take a train to get there. You're already there. You're already in it. Yeah. Right. And that is a decision you make for yourself. And it's a place that you choose to live from and you're doing it. This is the conundrum of life. This is the, you know, this is the, the hurt and weakened ego. This is the attachment. This is the suffering. This is the codependency, mm-hmm. um, you know, very systematic problems that we find in our modern era. You know, we're so, um, we're, we're in a, we're so in a juxtaposition to want to have to latch onto something to fill the void of, you know, emptiness within and the pain and suffering. And what you're, mm-hmm. what we're talking about here and your experience, this is zero point, you know, zero point is that you can have your best friend, your father, the patriarch of the family and embody the awareness that he's just going back to where he came from and will eventually be there. And he's always with us. So mm-hmm. let's celebrate it. What, what the, why would we waste a second of this time being in that, in that, you know, perpetual loop? And Especially because he wants, that's what he, he wanted, wants. Right? Yeah. And, and yeah. he, and he wants you to know he's so happy in this state of love and he can't reach you. If you are in a state of misery, when you go to that place of love, he can find you. He can get to you. You can get the messages and the signs and the Baba with a goat on the shirt. I mean, when you are in that space, all things are possible. You are not bound by any limitations of your body, of a drug that you take, of a belief that you have. You live a limitless, endless connection to to source. And, um, but look, I get it. I get, I get how hard it is to make that decision. Because it's so much easier to say, when I don't have this boss anymore, and when I have a million dollars in the bank, and it's my mother-in-law's fault I'm this way, or it was my bad upbringing that caused me to believe these things. It's so much easier to point everything outside of yourself and say, when it all is fixed, then I'll find myself on Tahiti or Maui or Kauai. Right. The false hope and just Mm -hmm. leading yourself astray. It's so funny that the parallels, the conversation prior to this was about the immune system and how we can do all these exotic things, stem cell treatments, ozone therapies, X, Y, Z, but ultimately the the immune system's guidance chip is homeostasis in the mind and body and finding balance in your heart and Mm -hmm. the emotional response. You know, if we're always in a state of fight, flight, fear, you know, going into those types of conscious states, we're already lost in terms of healing, just on the mm-hmm. physical level. Mm-hmm. You know, and healing is an is an electrical solution. And what you're talking about, it's, I, I see it as a holographic electrical perspective. You know, these are nuances, these are codes, these are lights, and 
either they're t- we have access to them because we've created those habits and those awarenesses or not. And so I think that's a good transition into the book, knowing what's the premise of this? Is this, is this giving someone or offering someone some concepts revolving around these types of, you know, situations? What, what, yeah, do- sort of, it's, it's really just this, um, a bunch of personal stories about, um, uh, and a lot of cool ones that people are really interested in, like the signs that we've gotten from him since he passed and some of the like crazy um, coincidences, or as he would have said, you know, perfect synchronicities that have happened. Um, but it's really just an exploration of this idea that within every single one of us is a an internal compass, an intuition, a lighthouse, a knowing, and it will never, ever lead you in the wrong direction or down the wrong path, but you must seek it out. You must stay connected to it. It's like, it's, it's the best way to describe the knowing is to say that no matter how dark the storm is that you're going through, there's always a lighthouse there guiding you home in the dark, but you have to open your eyes to find it, to see it. And for us, it's like, that same idea, the knowing is this internal part of you that it understands that um, life is responding to you and life is happening for you. And that all of the things that you desire or want to manifest or create are just one frequency away. It's um, the idea, the knowing is that we're all connected and um, we're all connected to God. And when we come from that place, we, you know, we find ourselves in flow. We find ourselves rowing our boats gently down the stream. Um, But your mom can't row it for you and your dad can't row it for you and your boyfriend can't row it for you or your girlfriend. You have to row it yourself and you have to do it gently, gently with yourself down the stream. Always stay in flow. Don't fight against the current. You know, just go with the path of least resistance. That is where, that is where God lies. That is where, your connection to something bigger than yourself always lies is in when, you know, in that energy, in that space. And so I think the knowing is really just um, this idea that my sister and I were raised on some of these really great spiritual principles, but we didn't always apply them and we didn't always come from them. And uh, a lot of times we forgot about them and it was really just an experience of going back there and writing about it and sharing it. What you resist, you persist. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, don't force flow. And I think it's a very opportune time for you releasing this book because we're in interesting times right now. That's the best Mm -hmm. way I can sum it up. And I, you know, grew up as a truther. I was mentored by people that were teaching me about the banking system, about the medical mafia, about, you know, all of these, you know, left brain systems of control, which is isolating the purity of our incarnation as a soul beings. And I was, I was taught that at an early age and plus my parents being immigrants from Iran. And I understood, I I knew at an early age why that turmoil was happening over there and who was, who was constructing it. And everything we were being told on the news was just a bunch of nonsense. I grew up I grew up with that mentality. I was, I almost became militant in, in a sense. And 
all I believed in was that we had evil people in this world. You know, there was no there was no spirituality connected to it. It was just evil people screwing other people. We have to fight this. There has to be a revolution. This is the Tupac mentality. And it's interesting. Right. Tupac, his birthday was yesterday and we were celebrating it. And he was he was my idol growing up. You know, that was mm -hmm. my he spoke with passion and truth and awareness and obstruction of justice and all of these things that I hold so dear in my heart and it's embodied in, in my character right now. And now we're, we're in a, a very interesting time where people are confused about who to trust. You know, we have this weird epidemic that happened. We don't know what is going on here. We don't know who's, who's speaking for us. So there's never been a more, a, a more absolute, clear, defined time where we need to garnish our internal faculties and grow mm -hmm. the strength and embodiment from within without fear, without disillusion, without all of these, you know, psychological warfare strategies affecting us. And right. this is, you know, what you're doing is part of that, you know, and, and you're, you're living in the legacy of your father, but while he has created you to create your own legacy, right? Right. And you're same with your father and you. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm just thrilled that you talked about me and Tupac in the same sentence. And somehow <laughs> I think that I maybe got like a little comparison there. Right. <laughs> well, I, I feel, I feel that thug in you. And that, <laughs> and when I, when I say by a thug, what does that mean? That means someone who's standing strong and is not afraid to look at the past and the experience and move out of that and, and transition out of that. That's, right. the, you know, that, that's what strength is. That, that's what being ferocious is. That's what being in love is. It's embodying all those frequencies. And I right. see that. I, I didn't know what to expect you coming on. I didn't know if you were going to be this soft, angelic poet. You're the daughter <laughs> of Dr. Wayne Dyer. I didn't know if you were going to start reciting the Tao Te Ching and ba backwards and we were going to do a, a mantra together. I didn't know. I had no idea. But you and I had never spoke. But, right. but feeling into your voice, your tone, what's coming out of you, you're, I mean, you're, you're fierce. You're, you're fierce. <laughs> well, I feel like I want to, I'm going to write that down and tell people, excuse me, I'm fierce, you know, because I don't think I come across that way, but I know what you mean because. Not, I, not I, in a fake fierce. Right, not in right. like you're, no, no, no. It's inside of you. Right. It, because you know what it is? It's a desire to tell the truth. Yeah. yeah. And when you come from the truth, when you see somebody else doing it, it resonates with you. And when you see somebody else not doing it, it resonates with you. Oh. And, um, and that's what I felt like I was going to laugh at the beginning, because what is more joyful than knowing you're going to have an authentic conversation with somebody like you're going to go right through the shit and you're going to go right for it because telling the truth is what you both want to show up and do. And that's why I think I felt like I was going to laugh the first five minutes because I kept feeling this silliness, but that is what, that is what God is. I mean, that is what like honesty and love and integrity. That is what you're knowing is it's the path of joy and it's available to you right here, right now, but you've got to, you got to ask you, you know what you have to do. You've <laughs> got to believe it and then you'll see it. Yeah. And, yeah. and that was, you know, yeah, that was the whole idea that I was raised on. If I had to like boil it down to one thing, it was if, if you want to experience anything in your life, you have to become in harmony with it and you have to believe it. If you don't believe it, you'll never see it.
instead of I'll believe it when I see it, it's more like I'll see it when I believe it. Yeah. And, you know, that's your dad, that's your dad right there. Yeah. He wrote a book called that. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's that's exactly what my dad would say to me. He's like, instead of just wishing for it and just like killing yourself, just be it. And when you, mm-hmm. when you be it and you embody it, you're there. You're right. Yes. And, you, and since you said, I'm going to quote the Tao, I, I am now because I think this relates. My dad used to always say that if you are not generous when you are poor, you will not be generous when you are rich because generosity has nothing to do with your circumstances and everything to do with your nature. Or as the Tao says, the Tao Te Ching says, the sage is kind to the kind and kind to the unkind because kindness is his nature. And it's just another way of saying what you carry around inside of you is what you will find yourself experiencing in life. You want abundance, better be generous. You want love, you better start within. And it's like, you know, the orange metaphor. People always say, oh, your dad in the orange. I love that when he would say, if you squeeze an orange, what do you get out? Orange juice. And it doesn't matter who does the squeezing. It doesn't matter what time of day they squeezed or under what full moon they squeezed. When you squeeze an orange, orange juice comes out because that's all that it has inside. Mm. What do you give out when you're squeezed? It doesn't matter who's doing the squeezing. What are you carrying around inside? That's what you're going to give away. I love it. <laughs> it's just the, the, the raw truth of it all is that it's so simple and, and life takes us down the complications and the corridors of making things more complicated. And we just go back to it. We just have to be practicing it. And I think having a discipline around these fundamentals is a key. You know, if you want to become, you know, the best basketball player in the world or the best, I'm head of nutrition of a couple of world number one athletes. And one of my closest friends is Novak Djokovic. He just won the French Open. And he was my first guest on Wake the Fake Up. He's the number one tennis player in the world. And we always talk about what you just said right there about the orange juice reminds me of that is, is that, you know, I can work on these complicated moves and do all these things, but no, I just go and I hit the same ball at the same spot every single day, because that is exactly what I need to have as my discipline. And it were, mm-hmm. and, and he uses that the same thing in his mind, his preparation, his emotional response, all of those things, of course, right. are human and things can happen, but just like the immune system, the immune system you, we go into autoimmune diseases because the immune system starts overacting and starts going haywire and attacking the body. But why is it doing that? Because something is not signaling it to go back into balance. So this, these disciplines that you're talking about, the awarenesses that you have, the trials and tribulations, my, my perspective is be aware of them, take the time, meditate on these principles, look back at your life, look at moments in your life where you decided to react instead of really take times with certain, you know, have a emotional response that's not dictated on fear or pain or trauma and, and see exactly how you've navigated and wh- how it's worked for you. That's doing the work, right? Mm-hmm. That's preparing yeah. yourself. And you, um, yeah. you've been doing that. 
Well, sometimes, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a disciplined person, but I am disciplined in terms of finding the joy. So for me, I can't take things too seriously because I'll start to get like, you know, depressed that like, you know, I haven't exercised in five days or I just had a sugar cookie before I called and, you know, I'll start to go down all the things that I'm like, oh shit, like I ruined it. And I got to start over again. For me, it's like, I have to, I have to not take it so seriously. I have to find the joy. Yeah. I have to, you know, find myself in Detroit. I have to go in there Detroit. with it. Yeah. My dad, by the way, was obsessed with tennis, like obsessed. It was like the number one thing, especially over the summer when the European matches would be on and somebody would text him like, did you see who won? He would like lose his mind because he would record them, you know, because in Hawaii, it'd be like the middle of the night. So he'd wake up and want to watch them. And if he knew that even one of us knew the score, not that we told him the score, but if he knew that one of us even knew who won already, he would be so mad. It would like ruin his day. Oh my god! So I know all about Djokovic. <laughs> what What's next for you? What's happening in your reality? Are you going on a tour? This whole COVID thing might have changed things a little bit. What are you doing right now? And how can people support? How I, I love to do this. I, I want to probably do another one with you where we go into like detailed, detailed specifics. Um, I think our audience would love that. What What's happening in your reality currently? I, um, I'm, I'm just working on getting this book out there and, um, sharing it with people because I feel such joy in being able to talk about these things. And I feel so excited when somebody says that they, they didn't realize that their loved one was here all along and that they were just so closed off to getting signs that they couldn't ever see them. Like, I feel so excited, um, to help people understand that they have the power within themselves. So I don't really know what's next. Honestly, it took us forever to write this book. So I don't think we're going to be writing another one for a little while, but you never know. I mean, as the Dow said, I'm just doing nothing and everything's getting done. So I, I'm just, I'm just showing up for it. And uh, I keep putting myself out there and, you know, asking people to like, have me on. Like I asked you, like, will you have me on your podcast? Yeah. Um, because I, I feel it. I feel the message and I feel the, um, I feel excited over it. So I'm on social media and all the normal pages. And I don't know about a book tour because I don't know about with COVID, like what's going on, you know, in Florida, we, nobody's worn a mask in like a year, but in the rest of the country, it's locked down, you know, they're starting to have restrictions lifted, but so I'm, I don't know. I'm open to seeing what's next. How would your dad have reacted to this COVID thing? Curious. He, he would, I think he would have, uh, I think he would have not bought into it. And I don't mean bought into it. Like he would have said it's a hoax. I think he would have said that what you think about you create, what you think about you attract. Don't think about it. You know, just live your life. You, you can't, I think he would have said that. I, he, I don't mean like he would have not bought into it. Like for no, people I that had it. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, me and my siblings, we all had it. I had it. Um, so it's not that it's not real. I mean, that he would have it just wouldn't have been something that he would have been afraid of because right. the idea of being afraid of something means you're aligning with it. Yeah. You get what you think about whether you like it or not. Yeah. He wouldn't have thought about it. I, uh, I usually don't wish for something, but I wish we had time together, all of us and our dads walking on the beach in Kanapali or Rotahana or over in Anini beach in Kauai. 
I think we've done it in some past life, but I so look forward to meeting you in the material and connecting with you offline and um, probably see you in Florida. Or see, if you ever come to Cali, definitely see you in Cali or on the islands um, yeah. to explore um, the transitionary state, the Bardo state and all of those things with you because um, I'm starting to put some things together on transition around my father. And um, what you're doing is, uh, is inspiration for me. You know, it's, I'm, very, I'm the founder of Symbiotica. So it's been very busy for me and my company. We're, we're, we're growing at such a fast rate and helping, with, helping so many people with health and wellness and, and giving them their, their sovereignty back, their freedom. Yeah. This, is, this is all part of that. It's all part of this collective soup. And so I just yeah. to, I honor you. Thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah. And I, I need to become a, I need to get all the nutrition advice. I'm like the full gluten, white bleach, sugar refined. Like it's so bad. That's the joy. But, yeah. we, we, we can, uh, we'll, we'll make some moves on that. You have direct access to me and I'm, well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my dad was really into the coffee enemas before he passed away. So I, I know he wants me to give those a try. I just, <laughs> you know, he, he said, you know, it's the best part of waking up is Folgers in your butt. So I know that people are really into that, but I don't know. We'll see. I'm, some of the health stuff freaks me out. This is so wild. Cause that was my dad's favorite thing to do. And really? The coffee enemas? Coffee enemas. Yeah. He really got a kick out of that. I, I'm the guy <laughs> that says, you know, don't drink coffee, put it up your butt, you know, that's probably <laughs> a healthier way. But I have, right. we have formulas that have glutathione. So most people don't know, but putting coffee up your butt triggers the master antioxidant to be manufactured and released out of your liver. That's what it's doing. We, we made that product. So that's available. Really? You don't want to put coffee up your butt. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think maybe I'll go with your product then. As, I'm, I'm happy to stick with Starbucks, not Starbucks. So <laughs> no, no, no Starbucks. Okay. No, I know. We have, we have a lot I don't drink Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't drink Starbucks anyway, but come on. I had to get Starbucks in there. It's like, I, I like that Starbucks. Um, yeah. If there's anything else you want to let my listeners know, please do. Uh, I got the book in my hand. We're on all forms of media. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're also on YouTube so people can see this. Here's the book right here. And um, I'm just, again, Thank you. Thank you for channeling and thank you for being so truthful and authentic. That was very, very refreshing. Thank you. Thank you for having me and for responding to my, my Instagram PR campaign. <laughs> I never opened those messages too. And it was, I don't know what was going on. I was just kind of breezing through. Cause you know, you, you popped up in a message where you have to like, I have to open it up in order for you to see that I've read it. Right. Right. That, right. Like, Cause Cause I, yeah. Cause you didn't follow me. I followed you, but I, so it goes to like another box where like you have to check. It doesn't go to your inbox. No. I know. And it's crazy how you found it and it was meant to be. And there's so many things like that, that are happening. It's like, I'm doing nothing. I'm just being done. It's all happening. Well, you have my full support and this is truly waking the fake up, you know, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Whatever, however we identify fake being. So Serena, thank you so much. Bless your heart. It's again, uh, this is, this is the way, this is the way, you know, truly. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope everyone loved this. Uh, this takes me down a lot of memory cords in my mind and my heart, my soul. I'm thinking about 
Baba right now and his gentle, gentle approach, just him smiling at me, putting his hand on my shoulder, kissing me on the cheek. But everyone knows how affectionate he was and and to be able to communicate with, you know, this one of the seeds of uh, Dr. Dyer is just it's like I can say honor and I can say reverence, but ultimately these are just words. They're just words. It's so much deeper than the logos. And again, love, 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 love is in the air. Joy is in the air. And one last thing is what you said is I live in just absolute joy. Everything's joy. And you're right. You know, don't take life so seriously. We never get out alive. (laughs) The best day ever. Uh Oh, gratitude family for tuning in today and deep reverence to you all for dedicating your time to seeking knowledge and truth. This is what it's all about. You can find more of my podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and Google Podcasts. You can also find this on my website at wakethefakeup.com. Life is all about momentum. Please leave a review so I can hear your experiences and share with your friends, family, and anyone who needs to hear this message. This is a revolution of consciousness. This is just the beginning. I am all in. I'll be back next week for another epic conversation. Stay tuned, family. Big love.